Hello everyone, I am Mirta Hurtado Rivas. No VIPs or rock stars, just simple people sharing their life stories to trigger discussions around important topics or simply to inspire us to embrace challenges ourselves. Welcome to Leaderching. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Leaderching. My guest today is Hiroshi Sheraton. He is an IP partner at Baker McKenzie in London. Hi, Hiroshi. How are you? Hey, Meta. Very well. Thank you very much. So that's the first time someone answers very well during this podcast <laughs> during the last year, but <laughs> that's good news. <laughs> We have been talking offline for 10 minutes, so I, I feel much better as a result. So, Hiroshi, I just proposed that we immediately dig into my questions. And my first question is, what did you dream of becoming as a child? So, as a child, I wanted to be an astronaut. That was always my dream um, when I was a small child. Um, and I would still love to be an astronaut. I don't think it's going to happen, but... Yeah, maybe... That train has passed that. <laughs> <laughs> But that's really interesting. So astronaut, I'm not sure if we've had another guest saying astronaut before. But can you maybe, you know, share a bit as to where that came from? Did you have you kind of anything in your environment or your family that shaped that desire? Yeah, so the, the, the thing that I loved about it was the engineering, the travel, um, the, the science, the exploration um, were all attractive. Um, my father was an airline pilot when I was a kid. So um, the, the, the travel aspect, the technical aspect was, was always there. Um, and I think that's probably what, what drew me to it. Excellent. So now fast forward, um, as we know that you're not an astronaut today, um, you happen to be an IP partner. So how did you end up choosing IP as a profession? So how do you go there? Yeah, so um, I worked for a while as a scientist in the pharma industry. Um, so I was a medicinal chemist um, for a year. Um, and I always knew I loved science um, and was really interested in it, but I was an absolutely terrible chemist. I don't have the patience um, to look at um, one really small part of a molecule doing some really complicated chemistry for months and months on end um, uh, just to make a, make a molecule that probably didn't work. And... So when I was working in the lab, we had a meeting with um, one of the company's patent attorneys to discuss uh, an invention which had previously been made in the lab. And we were talking about um, the invention, what was clever about what had been done. And um, we were talking about what other kinds of molecules might work. To, to have the same biological effect um, and what the law was around patentability and breadth of patent claims and that kind of thing. 
and I came out in that meeting and thought, that's a really cool job. I can get to know about the science, do some interesting things, learn about things uh, in a way which does not require patience. Um, and so in many respects, being a lawyer just gives me kind of instant scientific gratification um, that I, I get to learn in depth about the science um, in a short time frame and only the really important things as well. So that's when I decided I wanted to be a lawyer and I wanted to specialize in the pharmaceutical industry. Wow. Um, I think it's interesting from the perspective that um, not all paths, you know, are like straight, right? But that there is many ways to get somewhere and many, many ways to discover actually where your passion lies. And you just describe um, very clearly how one thing, even though, you know, you saw that was something you wanted to do, then you have this eye-opening experience where you realize there is even a better way of connecting your kind of curiosity for science, but at the same time getting some tangible results a bit um, faster and, and, and probably not the need for, you know, this long hours of investing time and effort and, and, and sometimes not getting very far, right? Because uh, science is a lot about try and fail and mostly fail until you succeed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, 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 one of the things I love about the pharma industry is that it's, it's helping patients live better lives. And, you know, th that aspect of it, making drugs or treatments um, to make things better, make patients better, um, is, is really attractive. And, and it's a kind of practical application of the science, which you can kind of see in the industry. But when you're at the, at the lab, in the, at the bench in the lab, um, it's, it's much harder to, to visualize. Thanks for sharing that. So once you um, realized that you wanted to become a lawyer, um, how did that go? How did that switch like kind of, you know, going from one thing to the other? What was your experience there? It was really easy. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm ashamed to say. Um, I, I, I worked as a, a chemist um, during my university years. Um, so in my final year at university, I applied to various law firms for jobs. I um, spent some time doing a, um, a, a placement uh, with one particular law firm. Um, I made one application for a training contract to that law firm um, and they accepted me and I didn't make any other applications at all because I was happy that that firm was um, specialized in what I wanted in IP um, um, and was the kind of environment that I wanted to, to train in. So went to law school, um, did my training contract there, and it's, like I say, um, I'm almost ashamed to say how easy it was for me because I was so lucky. So it sounds like you were lucky with, with you know, finding the right spot. Um, um, and I think that happens has happened to many of us, like that things have come together and then we are kind of surprised almost, oh, 
I'm in or I'm doing this. Like I, I didn't train for IP. And then once of a sudden I was working IP and I didn't really realize how that had happened either, but it just happened. But then I believe, um, as I know you a bit, um, you also work hard. It's not like, you know, it's, you're not like kind of the surfer type that just waits for coincidences and luck to come around the corner. Yeah, I think that's, that, that's true. Um, I mean, the job requires you to work hard. Um, and being in a services industry, um, it, it, it's the ideal opportunity if you like to work hard and you like to get things done and to um, give results to clients. Um, and, and that's predominantly what's drives me at work that if something needs to be done if the client needs it if the case needs it if the um opportunity requires it to be done um it, it gets done so okay so no that's that sounds very straightforward and it sounds like you identify that that is what drives you which also makes it easier to be motivated and to keep on going when you know exactly what it is that you picture being for yourself um, successful or some type of success that you want to achieve. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I recognize that lots of different people want different things. Um, and for me, perhaps it's lucky that being in a, in a service environment or a service provider environment um, matches with what I like to do, what I, what drives me. Excellent. So you mentioned before that actually you considered yourself lucky because you also find a place where the environment was right. And that's a little bit something that I would like to explore a bit further, in particular with respect to what type of leadership it is, you know, you've experienced and what is it you believe is a good type of leadership. Hmm. So the kind of leadership I have mostly experienced um, has been a, a, a case of um, leaving me to it. Um, one of one of my one of my bosses um, at an earlier stage in my career um, was a fantastic thinker um, uh, and a great um, strategist um, but very often uh, in, in a case he would turn up to the first meeting tell the client um, what the law was what the outcome was going to be and um, how, how we were going to achieve it and then leave the room and not pay another single piece of attention to the case for the next two years, um, which left me sort of um, having a framework <laughs> to, uh, of what what we needed to achieve, um, and and yet um, not that much guidance um, in terms of um, how how to get there, um, which you know, has its own um, benefits. Uh, you certainly learn on the job. 
<laughs> you can certainly make your own mistakes um, and find that, that allowed me, I think, to find my own sort of way of um, uh, getting to coming to terms with what needed to be done and, and actually what the outcome was and what the outcome was going to be um, uh, and talking to clients in, in a different way, um, but yet in a, in a different way that um, fitted with a, a more um, consistent view <laughs> amongst the team of, of what the law was and what the outcome might be. So, um, yeah, you just mentioned the fact that, like, I think freedom is, is a big motivator, actually. At least for me, it's like um, whenever I've reached a level where I feel that some type of freedom is given to me because that also translates into recognition and trust, right? So if I'm left alone for certain tasks, which I, I've never been as lucky as you to be totally free, um, like it sounds that you were with, with that partner, um, but I have enjoyed a lot of freedom in a lot of my positions. And I think that's always been a very strong motivator for me because I felt there was a lot of trust that I could do the job. And hence, even though I was sometimes intimidated by the cases or by the role or the task, the fact that people would trust me with that specific task would give me the last push to empower me to actually feel accountable for it. And, and you know, just try to get it done and then, getting it done so the learning curve is hmm. steep but um it keeps you motivating to explore more and to learn more and to be curious about it yeah yeah absolutely right and um i find myself in my current position um encouraging my team to to do more to take more responsibility to um to make a call on certain things to um to to really you know own something make the decision um uh without reference to me because that allows the team to to push their boundaries to feel a little bit uncomfortable in am i am i okay to make this decision am i okay to make that call do i need to get more advice do i need to get air cover from a from a partner um, which in some cases that's absolutely the right thing to do but to I think it is really important for everyone to push their boundaries as to what they're comfortable with because that's how you how you grow how you get more experience so let's maybe just take a small step back because it sounds like you're the person you was referring before did that's just like a standard and and we know this type of like charismatic people who are so bold that they just, you know, go in, explain, and then leave others to do it, which is one way of leading, right? But um, as you were saying now, today you're pushing your members to do some of it. So I'm hearing also that probably in an ideal situation, we have to get to the spot where you can feel accountable and have more of a, you know, more independence and full ownership or something. So what do you think gets people to that place or what do we need to do as leaders to get people there? 
So I was I was lucky. That was kind of halfway through my career, by which stage I had um, spent many years doing IP law um, and having really in-depth discussions with colleagues, with clients um, a, about interesting points of law and, 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 and getting comfortable with the law, with how the clients um, worked, how cases worked, um, gave me enough confidence to, to when I moved firms to, to this other um, environment to to swim in the sink or swim analogy um, uh, and if I hadn't had that base grounding um, it would have been very much harder um, to, to thrive in in that environment um, so there, there's there's I, I guess a kind of a, a bit of a transition period you know you're learning for me and it was very very stark when I moved firms from one environment which was nurturing discussing um, talking learning all of those things um, and then being thrown into the pool <laughs> um, uh, and and so that you know that's not ideal for everyone <laughs> I get that um, but the, 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 that transition from when are you a learner, when, when are you a doer, when are you a leader, um, is, is really important to, to think about um, at the various stages of, of your career um, because they're different roles. Yeah, I think, I think I agree with you. It's kind of each stage has its own upsides with respect to your personal and professional growth. And I think sometimes when we're going through it, we, we lack the distance to actually see what's happening. And it's only <clears throat> with, you know, in the aftermath that we realize, okay, so this is when I was in this and this phase. And I think luckily today we, we, we read much more about professional development than we did when we were, you know, kind of growing as lawyers, so to say, or even more about leadership, right? I don't recall in my first job even having heard that one could wish for a certain type of leader. You just got the boss that you had and you were not really asked about if you were happy or not with your boss, it was just your boss. In our days, um, there is a lot more focus on, you know, what style of leadership is you're looking for when you hire people. It's one of the main questions, right? Is how they collaborate with others, um, especially if, with managers. Um, one thing I was wondering is, um, and, I have, and I've gotten like so many different answers to this question, that's why I'm always very curious to hear this, is um, do you believe that leadership, so good leadership in particular, has anything to do with gender? I think it is connected to gender, but not in a, either a positive or negative way. Female leaders are, are different broadly to male leaders, um, but in a, I, I guess in a, in a way that um, th there's a normal distribution of leaders 
and females will tend to be on one side and males will tend to be on another side but there is a huge overlap in the middle um, and so you know you, you can you can look at different traits on the left hand side of the curve or different traits on the right hand side of the curve so listening maybe on one side or um, uh, visionary traits on, on the other or, or strength in, in leadership and the other, but um, neither are exclusive to either gender. Um, I think it is a good thing, uh, I mean, just in terms of diversity, um, a good thing to get the complete spread of each of those traits um, on the normal distribution in, in your leader. Um, and if that involves women um, for one particular part of the curve more, then, then that's absolutely where to go. Um, so I'm not sure if that answered your question. No, no, it does. It does. It does. It has an impact. I see because what you're saying is actually you're saying it's more of a personality issue, right? So, and I think that's what you also meant broadly, right? Because we can categorize people broadly, but actually at the end of the day, when it's about the specific person, uh, we find um, very often female leaders who just um, have very strong actually male attributes and the other way around, we found male attributes that may have some of the so-called female attributes. Um, and the question is always, yes, in, in generalization, generalized terms, you can maybe say that, but at the end of the day, I think it's it's very much about the style um, of the person and, and often the style just goes together with um, the personality. And, and my experience is it depends a lot on the motivation of the leader as to why they want to lead. Um, depending on what the motivation is, the driver for that role that the person aspires to, then you will see how the traits actually align with that. So those that want just to, that love to give orders, for instance, there is still some people around who, who like to do that, not only those who go to the military, um, then your motivation is a bit different than when you are more of the type of person who is, you love to support others and don't see yourself as giving an answer, but much more as someone who raises a question. So I think depending on that, mm -hmm. then the traits start falling right, either right hand or left side of the curve. Yeah, and I, I completely agree. And, but I, I see a huge danger in attributing that to gender and, and and you know you look at strong female leaders in the 70s yeah, margaret thatcher is your typical male leader <laughs> um uh very strong very opinionated very um certain um, in in the direction that that needs to be gone, um, but but that that absolutely is not, to my mind, a gender issue. Um, it's a it's a much more nuanced um, approach 
issue and the fact that she was, you know, UK Prime Minister um, in a different time um, is, is shouldn't shouldn't really affect how how the gender question gets answered because the the leadership style was no different to what a man might have brought. I think what is really interesting interesting in your last statement is the fact that you said it's dangerous to start kind of allocating, you know, those types of traits or even generalizing. For me, it's even dangerous to do so, in particular when we talk about diversity, because if you start putting people in boxes and start labeling them as, even if you start subcategorizing, like let's say, okay, there are some female are like this, but there are most of them are like this, but then there are exceptions. Even then, I think there is a danger when you look for real diversity in a team, which is not, which shouldn't be about, okay, a girl, a boy, a girl, a boy, a girl, a boy, but much more should be about really what's kind of the mindset style, what is the thinking styles, you know, what are different types of education, um, you know, all all sorts of, of diversity and include all sorts of minorities, if you want even to look at that. But I think as soon as you start categorizing people, then you actually risk again to being to be in, to lead into something that is silencing the difference in the category where people are allocating you to. So that's where I fear that it could go too far um, and even be counterproductive to the entire kind of you know diversity, um, even if it's well meant. I, I, I very much agree <laughs> with, with that. I think um, in a team, you need different mindsets. Um, you need a thinker, you need a doer, you need a ponderer, you need a, um, you know, a, 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 a pessimist, you need an optimist, um, all in the same team to give that balance. Um, and you know, those are the things, to my mind, which um, create um, good outcomes from from teams. Um, it's not um, the fact that, like you say, you need a boy, you need a girl, you need a boy, you need a girl. Um, you need a, a, a white middle-aged male or a, um, you know, um, somebody from a completely different background um and so so that that idea of the idea of just thinking differently having different perspective absolutely comes from having a different background um in in many instances sometimes it doesn't sometimes it comes from personality that somebody's a pessimist somebody's an optimist and they can both be um female minority um, individuals um, and they work well together or they don't, you know, that's, that's what creates the, the energy um, for getting things resolved well. Yeah, I, I, I agree as well. Um, 
before we go to my last question, I have a question as well that is obviously related to this. And, um, and I'm asking this because um, very often we have the impression that in Western European countries, the discussion about gender, but not only about gender, but about diversity is actually because we have, in most countries, we have good laws in place like in the UK, for instance, where, you know, there is a, bit, a lot of good legislation in place to actually support, um, you know, gender equality, for instance, but also other type of, you know, taking care of um, allowing everyone to have um, the same kind of uh, starting point, even though sometimes that requires support. I was wondering, what's your view on, on the topic itself? Do we still need to, for instance, in the in UK today, to continue to advocate for, for instance, for equal pay or equal rights, or or is it already a given that it's happening? Um, I, yes, we do. Und undoubtedly, um, I think the, the there there are other aspects of diversity than male female pay, um, which I personally think are more important uh, in order to create true opportunity and true diversity, um, such as social um, uh, opportunity, people from different backgrounds having um, the opportunity to become educated, to have um, the chances to apply for certain jobs, um, and one of the and and behind that, I think is I, I have a, a a personal and and please don't take this as Bacon McKenzie's view. Um, I have a personal view that one area where diversity of is not required is in the 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 quality of people that we want in our organization um, and th that's not to say um, that there is one quality which is above others um, but things like intelligence um, ability to communicate um, uh, you know ability to contribute to the team is wherever that comes from the importance is that that is at a really high quality level um, from whichever background um, and and for me at least i think lots of lots of the discussion around diversity of backgrounds um, gets clouded with that or not taking into account that that quality piece that we want our people to be the really very best quality whichever qualities those people are, are, are bringing to the equation um, so and and for me I think yes um, the UK is doing is, is doing lots on gender pay, on um, uh, diversity 
generally, I think we're now moving to a, um, a, a more nuanced um, stage where different areas of diversity should be taken into account, and but all the time, as I say, not forgetting the quality. Yeah, I think. Piece. I think if I, if I look at it from my perspective, what you're saying is this is not only about ticking boxes, right? This is not about looking at some criteria, defining those criteria as the criteria that need to be leveraged or that the ones that need to be discounted because they make a difference, because they, they are the ones that are being used to discriminate people, but rather, okay, those criteria are there and there is a need to support people that are being discriminated, so to say. But on the other hand, it's not about ticking the box, but it's about making sure that the contribution that you give to the organization, whatever the organization is, um, is a qualitative one. It's one that is of high quality and not just one that is based on the result of, oh, you tick all these boxes, then hence, immediately without actually checking on anything else you qualify for a specific thing but rather making sure that you bring actually for whatever reason that is specific qualities that the organizations may be looking for yeah yeah so a, a example uh, an old staid conservative law firm might be looking for blue sky thinkers um and you know, I, when you when you come in, you should be the bluest blue sky thinker <laughs> um, of of, um, of real depth of blue sky thinking. Um, not not just you know there for some because you're female, because you're from an artsy background, because you're um, you know from a from a um, a background that has tends to have those those qualities. Excellent. So my last question is, if you would be able to go back to your 20s, so to your early kind of, you know, um, early stage of your career, what advice would you give yourself? I would say to stand back and to to think a bit about the the broader picture the broader scenario the the, the team you're in the organization you're in um, the industry you're in um, and to take stock uh, more often um, to Figure out where you are and and where you want to go. Um, I mean, as, as we spoke earlier, I, I have been very lucky through my career that I have um, fallen in to certain roles um, and um, dealt with situations <laughs> appropriately or, or successfully, um, but to yeah, so if in my 20s, I'd say, Hiroshi, you know, stand back a bit, look at where you are, where you want to be, um, and, and the environment you're in um, more broadly. Thank you. I think that goes very nicely with what 
we are discussing a lot um, in, in this podcast, which is try to figure out actually which are the values that you want to kind of, you know, have in your life. What are the things that are important, but not only in that specific, like, you know, um, just in front of yourself, but the bigger picture and try to understand, yes, where is it that I'm going if I continue this way? So a bit more of like, a, what, what is so nicely called our days, you know, the mindfulness, the kind of self-awareness and all that. But I think you've put it in the right really practical terms. It's like, you know, look at the bigger picture and don't forget that there is just a, a broader view on things than the ones you are experiencing in that precise moment. So with that, um, I would like to thank you once more, Hiroshi, for taking the time. I know you're a busy person, in particular today. There is again pubs open in London, so I know you will, you will be heading from here. Um, <laughs> please uh, have a break I on us have an appointment. who are still stuck in lockdown. <laughs> but it, it, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, uh, thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast. Um, I, I look forward to um, yeah, hearing what you do with it. <laughs> Thanks so much, everyone. Bye. I hope you liked this episode of Leadership in English. Don't forget to give us a thumbs up on your respective platform and subscribe to our podcast. See you soon.